Happy Labor Day, everybody, and so glad to be joining you today. While simultaneously, I'm actually helping serve a church in New York this weekend by being with their team and their board and helping them with language on their mission and their vision, their values, and getting to preach for them. Thank you for helping me be in two places at once. Welcome to all of our locations. We are right smack dab today in the middle of our series on the book of Romans, because today we jump into Romans chapter eight. We've got eight more chapters to go, and it has been a ride. Thank you for uh, all of the feedback. I mean, God's word is powerful, and it's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Like, it cuts deep, and it opens us up, and, yet, and it, like, performs surgery on us, and then it heals us, and it helps us be stronger, and so... Thank you for taking this journey with us uh, today as we jump into Romans 8. Many scholars uh, call Romans 8, here's what they call Romans 8, the greatest chapter in the Bible. Romans 8 is so rich with doctrine, so rich with the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're going to jump right in today. And in order to really understand how Romans 8 starts, we got to back up, rewind just a little bit into what we talked about last week. If we go last week into Romans 7, Paul is kind of on this holy diatribe about Oh, I wish I could do better, but I'm not doing better. And why do I do what I hate? Like he's dealing with this. He's saying, we know the law is spiritual, but I'm not spiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. When we started a couple of weeks ago about grace and how you really, you are saved by grace, understanding that like you are either a slave to God or you're a slave to something else. Like there is no in-between. And if you're going to be a slave to anything, if there's going to be a master in your life, why wouldn't you want the ultimate master who became a servant? I mean, like, that's why you can truly, completely give yourself to Jesus. He's good like that. We're sold to slave of sin, but, and, and, and when we deal with that, we don't understand what we're doing. For what I want to do, I do not do, Paul says. For what I hate, I do. What a wretched man I am. We're skipping over to 24 now. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? How do I deal with all this junk in my life? And he deals with it with gratitude and thanksgiving because he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, when Paul writes his letter to Rome, uh, he is not writing in chapters. He's, he's simply just, it's all being recorded all at once. It's one big letter. We added the chapters and the verses to make it easier uh, over time. Um, scholars added that so we could more easily find pieces of the letter. So it makes sense now that the very next chapter, chapter 8, verse 1, when you hear what a wretched man I am, who's going to rescue me? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we start Romans 8, 1, therefore. So, so we now know all of this wretchedness, but God is good and he's going to deliver me through Jesus. Therefore, here's what you need to know. Here's what that is there for. Understand this. He says, there is now no condemnation. Every location, everywhere, say it with me, there is now no what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because, 
Why is there no condemnation? Because you're such a goody two-shoes, just because you like, you know, you, you know the B-I-B-L-E and that's the book for me? No, there is no condemnation because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. All of those things that Paul was talking about in chapter seven of, I do what I don't wanna do. I don't do what I know I should do. We are set free from that through Jesus Christ. So there is no condemnation. But you know what? You and I, even though there is now no condemnation, guess what we like to do? Guess what, guess what we like to do? <laughs> we like to live in condemnation. We love it. It's been happening since the very first humans fell short of the glory of God in the Garden of Eden. We have been dealing with condemning ourselves and living under a condemnation that's been placed on us by ourselves and by the enemy and his tactics versus Jesus and his grace that he wants to give. And what we do is we like to just mix all that condemnation in the way we feel, and I'm calling it the, the condemnation cocktail. Let me give you some ingredients to the condemnation cocktail. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are there, and, and they eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There was the one tree out of the 29,000 other species of trees. He said, eat any, eat any fruit you want. This one, don't touch it. But they just wanted to take matters into their own hands they, just like us today, were addicted to control, having the last say, wanting to be in charge and have all the power, and so they eat the fruit. And Here's what happens when they do. They felt guilty, and you should feel guilty when you don't do what God has called you to do. When you don't obey God, you will feel, you should feel guilt. That's a good sign. If you feel Oh, man, like that's a good sign. But here's where it gets to condemnation. We feel guilt that then can lead us to shame. When, when, men, when man is created by God, it's they, they were, it was male, it was female, they were naked, and they felt no shame. They were completely vulnerable, completely innocent, absolutely open to what God wanted to do. They were naked and un ashamed. But when they felt guilt, that guilt moved them to shame to try and cover themselves. And so they were embarrassed and, and, and not just embarrassed, but they were shamed like by them, by their own feelings, their own emotions. And that, that is a whole different thing than guilt. In fact, it's not in your notes, but you can write it down. Guilt says, I did something wrong. I did something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. And so easily we can jump into the condemnation cocktail where we should feel like, ooh, I did something wrong. But then if we're not careful, we begin to wear that as clothes. We begin to just take on shame and we place it on us. And we like fig leaves, like Adam and Eve, we become what's wrong versus dealing with the root of the issue. So we feel guilt, but when it leads to shame, that's condemnation. We can feel fear, and Adam and Eve felt fear. They were afraid. <laughs> like uh, they had disobeyed God. And it's good to feel that, to be a little afraid. If fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, not a fear like, ooh, you know, not, not afraid of, oh, I don't know what he's gonna do to me. It's a fear of, oh, I don't, I don't wanna break his heart. It's not that I, he's gonna break me. It's, I don't, I don't wanna hurt him. But we feel fear and what can happen is that can actually lead 
us to hiding. And so because they were afraid in the garden, they ran and hid. They covered themselves and they hid. They ran away from God instead of running toward God. Your kids, when they were small, they get hurt. And they just like, you're in the middle of some kind of backyard barbecue and they're all running and playing on the shed. And you're saying, get off the shed. And they don't get off the shed and they end up falling. They hurt themselves and, and they come running, daddy, daddy, they hurt themselves. And, and you're gonna kiss that bobo. Even though you told them to get off the shed, they're gonna run to you. Well, that's an innocence at heart. But the older we get, you know what we tend to do? We tend to cover those things up. And when we do something or we're, we're wrong in a way, we tend to run away from God. This is one of the saddest things I hear is people that start struggling in their marriage, in their relationships, in their relationship with God, they tend to kind of go away from the church because they're like, oh, you know, we just weren't really where we needed to be. That's the best time to come toward community. That's why we need each other. But fear can actually lead us to hiding versus leading us to running toward who we need most. We can feel painfully self-aware. Adam and Eve were very painfully self-aware. Whoa, they were naked and felt no shame. Now they know they're naked. They are shamed. They are shameful. They are embarrassed. They don't know what to do. And because they are painfully self-aware, do you know what they don't do? Here's what they don't do. They don't say, oh, man, I've got some emotional intelligence now. I need to unpack why I did not trust God. I need to unpack these these thoughts that have kind of caused me to be so belligerent in my disobedience to, to the Father. No, 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 no. They felt painfully self-aware, and in order to deal with their painful self-awareness, they didn't just say, oh God, here we are. We messed up. What do we do? Help, help us. You know what they did? It led to blame. <laughs> It led to blame. When God shows up in the garden and they have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he says, where are you? And they come out from behind the tree and they say, we were naked and so we hid, we were afraid. He says, who told you you were naked? And, and, and basically, Adam says, well, this woman you, you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then she, he goes, Eve, what about you? She goes, well, the serpent gave, serpent said, like it was the, the blame game. And what can happen is here's how you start living in condemnation. When you unexpectedly, um, unbeknownst to you, start wearing shame, you start living in fear, you start pointing the finger, you know how you blame very easily? When you point out the sin in other people, when you point out the speck instead of the log in your own eye, it's, it's somehow you maneuvering through your judgmentalism, the ability to still be in control and be more like God, but you and I are both still sinners saved by grace. And Paul says, therefore, there is none of that. There is, there, you don't need to wear the shame. You don't need to have unhealthy fear. You don't, you don't need to, to, to try and blame some, uh, someone else in order to save yourself. I will save you. I will save you. But you can't blame thinking that you don't need salvation, don't, needing that you don't need to own your own stuff. So let's, let's situate this. If there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ, Let's talk about how God does deal with us. If it's not condemnation, what does he do? Well, let's start with this. This is what God does not do. 
when I sin. What does God not do when I sin? I can tell you this, he doesn't freak out. He doesn't go, what? How could, are you, are you, did you see this? Did you, can you believe, I mean, they, they, no, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, God does not reject me when I sin. He doesn't say, how could you? Uh, he doesn't go in sync on you. He doesn't say, baby, bye, bye, bye. He doesn't reject you. Look what scripture says in Hebrews 4. We do not have a high priest, which is Jesus, who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Like this is part of why he became human, completely divine and completely human. He, he empathizes. He feels what you have felt, gone through what you have gone through. Rejection, he's felt it. Family that questioned him, yeah, he, he, he felt that. People denied him. Closest friends betrayed him, yeah. He, he knows what that feels like. Mocked him, yeah. Beat him, bruised him, wounded him, violated him. Yeah, he knows that. And he is not the kind of priest that just walks around in the white robe away from everybody else on a pedestal. No, 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 no. We have someone who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he was perfect. And so he lived the life we should have lived. He paid the payment we should have paid. He did all that in our place. So guess what? We get to approach God's throne of grace with not condemnation, but confidence, so that we may receive a lashing, a beating, a rejection, no, 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 so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God doesn't reject you when you sin. Uh, here, here's another one. God does not lose it when I'm inconsistent. Now I can tell you, I've lost it on my kids when they've been inconsistent, but I'm not the perfect father. I've lost it on Janet when maybe she's not been consistent. I'm not the perfect spouse. But scripture says in Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Well, look, look at this. For he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we're dust. <laughs> I mean, we're made in the image of God, but he knows our absolute humanness. He doesn't get upset when you are walking as a child and you stumble like, get up. I mean, you, what kind of dad would do that if their kid is learning to walk for the first time? And really, that's how we have to see ourselves as children in, in, in the scope of God, our, our father. And he doesn't lose it on you when you're inconsistent. He is gonna give you what you need to become more consistent. And we'll look at that. But I want you to know, you don't have to wear shame or be afraid or blame when you're inconsistent. You can run to him. Come boldly to his throne Knock on the door, open the door. You can approach his throne without fear that he's gonna say, off with his head, that you're able to approach him and get mercy. What we really, really need. Good news is his steadfast love never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. If you keep approaching his throne with confidence to get the grace and receive that mercy, guess what? It's new every morning. 
You can approach him every single morning and get that mercy that you need. Here's what else God doesn't do. God does not punish me when I sin. Now, pause, let's fast forward into the sermon and know there's a difference between punishment and discipline. We'll get to that, but let's address this first. God isn't punishing you for when you sin because here's what punishment is. Uh, punishment uh, basically is payment for the past. You, you broke a crime. Here, you, you've been convicted of the crime. Now, here is your punishment for the crime you committed. That's a punishment, all right? And what God is doing is not punishing us. I'll show you why. Because 1 Peter 3, for Christ suffered for sins once for all time. Okay, he's not, he's not having to be repunished and repunished in your place for all your sins, past, present, and future. He is suffered and punished one time, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. So past, present, and future, he has paid for your sin. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as far that so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You know why he doesn't say from the north and the south? Because we can stand on the bottom and we can almost touch the ceiling. There's a north pole, there's a south pole. But when you say as far as the east is from the west, you can't, like that's, that's forever. That's how far that he cast those transgressions from us and he has uh, removed that iniquity. We just have to receive that gift. And so if you feel like, oh, I can't go to God because he's gonna reject me. No, he won't reject you. He receives you. Come boldly to his throne. Oh, he's, he's just gonna, he's gonna punish me and just, and just spank me. Discipline, he will discipline. Discipline is helping you learn for the future. Discipline is, is, is something that gets you in, in, um, the right tools that trains you up for the future. Uh, I want to ask parents, think through, think through punishment versus discipline a little bit. Now, we're talking about God and our sin, and, and sometimes we need to address and, and punish our child for what they did in the past, punishment for the past. This isn't a sin issue, this is a parenting issue. But if you just punish all the time for what they did and you don't add in the discipline for who they are called to be, punishment is dealing with who they are, discipline is creating them and who they're supposed to be. And with equal weight of punishing, we need to, we need to add in that much more discipline Stop just spanking them every time they disobey. Let's help train them up in the way they should go. And that's what God wants to do. He's not about just putting you a guilt trip on you. That's not how he does it. He's not you wanting you to wear that shame. All right, now let's talk about this. What sin does do, do in my life, because that's what sin do. It doo-doo's in your life, everybody. You can't have a clean life. Now that's my way, that's my creative way to uh, kind of uh, bypass the fact that I made a typo on this, but we're just gonna let that slide. What sin does do in my life, it does doo-doo, okay? Number one, here's what sin does do. My sin will bring conviction from God. Ooh, I, I feel I've done something wrong. 
Number one, if you feel that and God is saying, you should not be going this way, whoo, rejoice, rejoice. God's still speaking to you. He sees you. He's numbered your hair and he's wanting to help you. You need to feel that. Your sin will bring conviction from God. Now, once you've asked forgiveness, he forgives you. If you still feel like, oh man, God's so, no, 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 that's shame. Guilt, forgiven, you've asked it, forgiven, move on. But sin will bring conviction and you need to understand that and be sensitive to that. Is there anything God's convicting you over? Number two, my sin hurts other people close to me. You don't sin in a vacuum. You don't just sin and like think that your kids are gonna be okay and not see stuff in that. That it's not gonna affect your spouse, that it's not gonna affect your family and your relatives, your associates, your neighbors. Like, like you don't sin in a vacuum. Dad, mom, brothers and sisters. I mean, I, I was the oldest of three kids and my sin affected those close to me. You, you, we gotta deal with, we gotta deal with this. And know that it's not just, oh, let me live my life. No, your life affects other people's lives. Number three, my sin creates consequences. Creates consequences. I mean, Jonah ran from God. Did he still get to go to Nineveh? Yes, he did. But did he still have some consequences for running from God? Yeah, swallowed by a fish. Now, God still got him to where he needed to go, but that was part, he, he still has not forgotten the plan that he had for Jonah, but there are consequences. Like, like, let me give you the scripture for it. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. It's a principle in the Bible. You, if you throw watermelon seeds, you ain't gonna get corn. You're gonna get watermelon. And scripture says it like this. Whoever sows to please their flesh, well, from the flesh, you're gonna reap something, you're gonna reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Like what, what kind of seed are you planting in your life daily, weekly? Every single decision that you make today on walking in the spirit or walking by the flesh, the old nature or the new nature, that's a vote on who you're becoming five years from now. That, that, that you're casting a vote on who, not you are that day, but who you're becoming. You're gonna reap what you've sown. And there's gonna be consequences, great consequences to celebrate and other consequences to navigate. Number four, my sin breaks down my fellowship with God. Now that's a very important word to understand. Notice that I don't say my sin breaks down my relationship with God. He's still your father, he loves you. He still waits even for the prodigal son in the story of the prodigal son. The father waits at the door and when the son begins to run back, come back down the road to the father's house, the father actually meets him down to the road, doesn't wait for him to come all the way. Like he is willing to draw near to us as we draw near to him. He's that kind of God. He will have relationship, but how many of you understand that when you have a child who you love begins to go a path that is destructive in themselves, you love them. You want to help them, but to just hang, to think that just Thanksgiving and they're running in a crazy lane and think Thanksgiving isn't going to have any kind of tension, that the fellowship is going to be totally, completely 
what it always is. No, there's, there's, there can be challenges there. There, there, can be, there can be tension. David, a man after God's own heart, I mean, anointed to be the king of Israel, chosen as the youngest of the brothers, but chosen by God. He saw something in David, and David was a man after his own heart and used by God, yet he also sinned, fell short of the glory of God. He, he dealt with consequences around him because of that sin. And in Psalm 51, when David writes a prayer out about his sin with Bathsheba, he had committed adultery and then had Bathsheba's husband killed to kind of hide the whole affair because Bathsheba had gotten pregnant. Um, here's what he writes in Psalm 51. He says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He knew God, but the fellowship was broken. The joy had been lost. And I wonder if that's some of you, you, you love God. You've been serving God. You're serving on a dream team. You're faithfully coming to church, but if you were to do some inventory in your heart right now, there's some stuff that has stolen your joy. It may be things that you've given your joy away in order to grab onto those. And this is a beautiful prayer we can even pray right now. In fact, I just feel led to do that. Can I just pray with you all locations before we move forward? Jesus, for those that are saved, but the joy is dried up, restore unto us the joy of, of what it was for you to be our first love and to truly recognize just how much you loved us and how much you were for us and not against us and how quickly we could run to you and not feel shame and not be afraid and not, not, not try to cast blame on our stuff, but we could just be so vulnerable with you. Lord, in this moment, at all of our locations, restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Just receive that today, friends. Just receive that. But when you sin, it's gonna break fellowship. It's, it, it, it puts obstacles in the way. It doesn't break your relationship, but it can break fellowship. Here's another one, number five. My sin limits my fruitfulness. There's only so much fruitfulness you can have if you continue to go the path of walking in the flesh. You're gonna reap what you sow, and what you sow is not gonna be the fruit of the Spirit. It's gonna be the fruit of something else, and that's gonna be fruitless. You're gonna be fruitless, or you're not gonna be fruitful because you're dealing with the different kind of seed that you're casting. Scripture says in, Galatia, uh, in John 15, remain in me, and I will also remain in you. No branch, though, can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Like you... you Sin separates us from God. It breaks that fellowship. We want to bring ourselves in to be a part of what God is, is doing and stay connected to the vine. Stay abiding in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. All right, a couple more. Number six, my sin brings loving discipline from God. Remember how I said Punishment is for what you did in the past. Discipline is training you for the future. My sin will bring loving discipline. He's gonna give us a development program 
It can be through a, a, a right-hand turn, a left-hand turn, a detour, a waiting line, you name it. He can use anything as an opportunity to bring discipline if you will help your perspective be trained like we talked about last week. Instead of trying with willpower to do better and better, if you will train your perspective to know, God, you're going to use these situations. You're going to turn it for good. I don't know what it looked. Don't feel good. This isn't good, but I know you're good. And so I'm going to train my perspective towards what you're doing in the middle of this situation for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Like if you're not feeling like God is disciplining you, you may want to ask yourself, have you really invited him to be your father? Have you invited Jesus to be your savior? He disciplines us because we're his children. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and, and live? No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Like I've never, as great as my kids are when I disciplined them or when they did something wrong, they didn't come to me and say, Daddy, I did something wrong. Discipline me. Like, no, it wasn't like that at all, okay? Like, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God is training us up, not punishing us. Number seven, my sin steals my heavenly rewards. You are storing up treasures in heaven. You are. Now look what scripture says. 2 John 1, 8. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Now some would say that that would mean like I lose my salvation, but guess what? You didn't work for your salvation. Isn't that good news? You didn't work for your salvation. Now we are in an eclectic mix of denominational backgrounds here where uh, I grew up in, uh, some of you grew up in maybe the Baptist church, okay? Baptist basic, baby, SBC, let's go. It's, I've got the stamp to prove it. I don't know where I was going, but the stamp on my arm is what I meant. So you grew up Baptist and so you would understand like um, eternal security. Once saved, always saved. I grew up, Pentecostal, and for us, um, it was more, it wasn't eternal security, it was more eternal insecurity. Uh, so, so like, uh, both can be incredibly misused. We can, we can incredibly misdiagnose eternal security, and we can also live in eternal insecurity, and, and here's, what, here's what can happen. If I live with just eternal security that, that there's nothing I can do to choose to walk away from God, if I'm not careful, that can become cavalier, and, and I, I just kind of treat that cavalier. Or if I live in eternal insecurity, I'm always living in condemnation. I'm always living condemned. Jesus wants to invite us into a healthful, healthy grace and truth that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. But there's also plenty of opportunity that he will not deny you. But if you, if, if you, just, if you just do not want to live with him, do not want to be a part of him, he's not going to force it on you on this side of eternity or the other. And so what you worked for, that's not your salvation. 
So you don't have to run around living in internal insecurity, but we also wanna be sensitive that we're not breaking fellowship with him. We're not, we're not just like being flippant about it either. We wanna have a sensitivity to, to living in conviction, but no condemnation. So watch out that you don't lose what you work for, but that you may be rewarded fully. When I sin, there's just some fruitfulness that gets lost and there's some rewards that I'm, that I'm not receiving. Salvation is not a reward, it's a gift. But the other stuff, the crowns that I'm gonna cast at his feet when I see him face to face, I, I, I don't wanna lose that opportunity. So we've learned that there's some things that God does not do when I sin and we've learned that what sin does do, it do-do's in your life. And we've also recognized what should I do when I sin? Okay, that's the third part. Let's, let's look at three things. Here we go. Number one, remember the truth. So quickly, when the enemy comes in like a flood, when the enemy went to Adam and Eve and like told them, oh, God did, you know, he's just trying to, did God really say? They, they kind of lost sight of God. Remember the truth. He loves you. He's not out to punish you. He's not out to reject you or isolate you. He's not ticked off with you and you're inconsistent. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's constant. He's consistent. Confess your sins. That's the second one. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Hey, you know, we're launching into groups this week. And groups is not just everybody. Okay, everybody sit around the room and what sin have you committed? What secret thing are you hiding from us? That's not group. If that's your group and you go on Tuesday and that's the group, let us know. We just kind of want to, we don't want to have a little chat, okay? That's not kind of what it's meant to be. But I will say there's something powerful in community. We're able to remember the truth more clearly. Uh, we're able to confess our sin to Jesus. He forgives us. But then in book of James, it says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. And the stuff where I want my way over God's way in any way, it's good for me to say to friends, I have, yeah, I, that was not the direction I wanted to go. Or man, I wish I, I'm doing what I don't want to do. And, and sometimes I do what I hate. It, like we can be real. And we want you to find that real community by finding a group, getting to a group. We want to help you find freedom from the past and counter God in a real fresh way and kind of see what, you know, help settle your yesterdays. That was, that's why we're launching what we call Encounter, this Sunday night experience where you can take several weeks of, of kind of dealing with habits and hangups and holdups and, and find true freedom in Christ. Like we're, we're providing these things so that you can truly live into your God-given potential. When you confess your sin though, can I tell you something? You do not have to beg, bargain, or bribe. I, I've heard so many people pray in a way, they're begging God. They're trying to bribe. If you do this, God, I will do this. If you'll just let me, hey, you know what? If you give me this, then I'll make sure that I, like you don't have to beg, you don't have to bargain, you don't have to bribe God, just confess your sin. Just remember the truth, he's good. His mercy endures forever. And then when you felt the conviction, you've dealt with sin, you've, understood there may be consequences, you know what you do? You accept forgiveness. And you also forgive yourself. Otherwise, you're gonna be shaming yourself. You're gonna be hiding from God. 
You might even just be blaming somebody else or something else or pointing the blame, doing the blame game with other people instead of accepting the forgiveness, remembering the truth that your identity is in him, not in what you've done. You may have done something wrong, but you are not something wrong. You're a child of the king. And isn't it beautiful that when Jesus goes to the cross, that the very first words he would say as he was dying in your place and in mine, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness releases us. It also releases others. Is there any place you need to confess today? Is there any place that you need to recalibrate your understanding of how God approaches you when you sin? Is there any consequence you need to kind of say, oh, okay, yeah, I sowed that seed and now I'm reaping that. Okay, God, thank you for meeting me where I am. Thank you for giving me a fresh start. That's what I'd love to do today as we end at all of our locations. You just bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for being the perfect Adam. Adam in the garden couldn't cut it. Jesus, you did what no one else could. And you did it for us. You didn't do it just to show off. You, you, you did it to prove you are who you say you are and you love us the way you say you love us. Because God so loved us, he would send you in our place. Thank you for taking on yourself what we needed. God, thank you that we can now be wrapped in you Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you've been dealing with some shame. Maybe you've been dealing with playing the blame game. Maybe you've been afraid to confess your sin. In this moment is a perfect opportunity. God is here. He's ready to forgive. Though your sin be like crimson, he'll wash it white as snow today. So Jesus, we confess our sin to you. You know our hearts. Maybe for some of you, you need to, to whisper those things. Like, like it may be important for you or you're just thinking those things. Whatever they are, offer them to Jesus today. Will you forgive us? You will? Thank you. You do? Thank you. We're your children? Y yes? Oh, thank you. You're a good father. And we run to you today because of what Jesus has done. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.